Well, good morning. Um, it is a delight to be here and to join some of you in-house. That's wonderful to see some faces, and um, I wish I could see so many others um, who are joining us through modern technology. Uh, that's a wonderful thing. Um, and I'm sure everyone is looking younger and younger with each year uh, that passes. Um, it has been about a year since the last time I was here, and um, I don't know if you know, but it's been quite a year, right, since the last time, uh, since 2019. Um, if you would, let's take a little stroll down memory lane as a reminder of, of what's gone on so that we can try to help set us up for where we're going to go in our, our passage this morning, because it's been no small thing. Um, for you barrier fanatics or folks, it all began with the uh, 49ers suffering a heartbreaking defeat, um, so I'm sorry about that. Uh, in the Super Bowl, but, but in all seriousness, it, it began to get really significant, right? In March, we had a worldwide pandemic, a global economic shutdown, uh, wave after wave of COVID surges, uh, racial tensions that boiled over with the killing of George Floyd, uh, almost felt more like 1968 than 2020. Uh, wildfires across the western United States sparked visions of an apocalypse, uh, a tightly contested, polarized election. And if it couldn't get any worse, we had murder hornets arrive in America. I mean, what <laughs> murder hornets? What are murder hornets? And does fear-mongering get any worse than calling something a murder hornet? But that is only what we find in the headlines. Uh, it doesn't speak to the pain and the heartache that each of you might be experiencing around your dinner table, uh, in your hearts, in the, in the everyday lives that you live. And so, my friends, it has been a crazy, crazy year, and we desperately need God in order to face this moment, to face the moment that he has put um, in front of us, each one of us who are here. And so, we're going to look at Psalm 86 uh, in order to help you and me answer our main question for this morning. And the main question that we're going to revolve around is this, is what can you do when faced with life's uncertainties, oppositions, afflictions, and sometimes persecutions. What can you do when you're faced with uncertainties, oppositions, afflictions, and sometimes persecutions? Does that a ring a bell from the last, uh, say, 12 months of our lives? So what are God's people? I think a better way to say this is, what are you? Uh, what are you to do in a polarized America? What are you to do in a place where it seems like half the country is diametrically opposed to the other half. And it's not only on the opposite ends of each other, uh, but America is quick to demonize and destroy without understanding anyone different than ourselves. Uh, we may not live in a country with persecution uh, to that of, say, the Middle East or North Korea, but it's accurate to state that we live in an era that is unlike anything that we've seen in America since the Civil War. Many social experts they say that the, the divide in America only compares to what we've experienced in the 19th century in the Civil War. And so it's fair to say that we all need God's wisdom and strength. We need him to help us on how to handle opposition and affliction because it, it does find its way into our hearts. It finds its way into our lives, into our doorsteps, and, and everywhere we go. And so David, the author of Psalm 86, he's going to model how we can pray in the face of opposition and affliction. And he penned this psalm while he was running for his life. Either he was on the run from his boss, Saul, who was seeking uh, to eliminate him before he would abdicate the throne, 
or it was later in his life when he was running from his son Absalom, who, who developed a coup to take over the throne from his father. But nonetheless, they wanted to take him out. Um, and maybe you run with some shadier characters than I do, but I have yet to have a relationship get so toxic that somebody wants to take my life or kill me, at least that I'm aware of at this point. But David is faced here with some legit opposition from his enemies. And though the peripheral of our lives, I think, is somewhat vanilla in comparison to David, we can certainly understand the posture that he has as he jumps into this psalm and as he begins to plead and pour out his heart really to God in his experience. So join me in examining these three prayer postures, we're going to call them, from David that can help us in the face of this dumpster fire known as 2020 that helped us to move forward in this. So let's read the the word of the Lord this morning. Uh, Psalm 86. I'll begin at verse 1, read the entire psalm. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I might walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servants. And save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor, and that those who hate me may see and be put to shame, because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Pray with me, would you? God, we thank you that you're a God who hears our prayers, and that you're a God who is near to us this morning and in this moment. As we come to you in this day, we need you, God, to speak to us, Spirit, Prick our hearts, incline us towards transformation, incline us to engage your transforming work in our hearts this morning. We pray that your word would would begin that process. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So our first prayer posture uh, from this, from David, centers around our response when life comes at us, when the difficulties of life comes into our lives. David begins first by pleading with God over his pain. And so when we have difficulty, when difficulty comes our way, we plead with God. 
We, we take our requests, we take our difficulties to a God who hears us and who wants to uh, receive the, the pain and the pleading that we have. And so when difficulty takes residence in your life, we let God know. And so we plead to God instead of losing ourselves in the 24-hour media cycle that is so easy to get lost into, or instead of social media scrolling and continuing to narcotize or numb myself through just con- continuously seeing different things or the numbing effects of food. Rather, we are to present our pain to God himself. God wants to hear from us when we are in pain and when we struggle. God wants you and I to come to him like our children come to us in their moment of need. Right? The only thing my kids want when they skin their knees, when something comes their way, they just want, they want dad or they want mom and they want us to acknowledge them, don't they? And what do I love to do? I love to acknowledge them. I love to welcome them in my arms. It's, it's one of my great joys. And the same is true of your God. He wants to welcome you. He loves welcoming you into his arms. Look at David's plea for God. He says, incline your ear and answer me. Preserve and save my life. God help is what he's saying. God help me, right? It's the cry of God's children is, God, would you help me right now? Would you hear me? Would you see the things that are going on? God, do you see the things that are going on? Sometimes might even be the statement. And so friends, are you crying out to your God this morning or are you white knuckling it through difficulty? Are you holding on, just hoping that you can hold on, hold on through to the other side, except for the other side seems to be a long time sometimes, doesn't it? It's a lot longer than you anticipate. And so what's the posture of your heart this morning? What's the posture of your heart today? This year, are you calling out, are you crying out to your God? Are you pleading for Him to hear you? Because we need to move on to some good news of what happens here. Verse 6, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. Did you hear that? God hears when you call out to Him. Your God hears when you cry out to Him. This isn't just some self care exercise to make us feel better about ourselves, like, hey, I just need to name this so it's out there. No, you're actually naming it, proclaiming it, and giving it to a God who has his ear tuned towards you, to a God whose gaze is upon you and sees you where you are and in your situation. And he is waiting for us. He's waiting for you, and he's waiting for me to bring what burdens us to him. He's waiting for us to bring what burdens our souls, what's burdening our hearts, what's burdening our lives, and and bringing that to him and saying, God, would you help me with this? And so no matter how much anger you have at life, no matter how much sadness because of the disappointment you have, or fear of what may come in life, it's, it's a fearful time, or shame for the things or that thing that you have done, Your God is waiting for you to come to Him with it. He wants you to bring it to Him. He's he's waiting for you to receive you this morning, to bring that thing that you're ashamed of, to bring that thing that you're afraid of, to bring that thing you're angry about and present it to Him and Him alone. Verse 5, For you, O Lord, are a good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. And so will you take whatever that is, that pain, that fear, 
that shame, that anger, and hold it up to the Lord and hear these words. He is abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon him. He loves you, friend. He loves you in this moment. He loves you today, and he's asking you, and he's waiting for you to bring it to him. And so David pleads to God for help. He's, he says, God, help me. He's crying out to God. But then he moves his heart into remembering who he has just summoned for help. And so we should, shouldn't just picture God as a, uh, a picture of Baby Yoda's a popular thing right now. He's cute and cuddly in one sense, right? But also, Baby Yoda is a beast-halting, force-wielding Baby Yoda. He has a lot of power and a lot of authority, and that's this idea of, of God is he's, he's kind and compassionate, and he wants us to bring uh, our petitions to him. But at the same time, he's an all-powerful God. He's an all-powerful God who rules and reigns over all things. And so the second posture of David is this, is David recognizes God's unrivaled authority, verses 8 through 13. He recognizes his unrivaled authority. He transitioned his attention away from himself and on to the one that he is petitioning. So he brings, he brings the truth of what he's experiencing, and then he begins to transition himself on the one that he is petitioning. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. Verse 8. All other gods are lowercase pretend gods. They're not even gods, right? They don't even get the benefit of having an uppercase letter there, right? Because that's a pretend, fake, lowercase, not a god at all. And so there's only one true god. His name is God, Yahweh. And, and this god, these other ones, are pretending. And so in the face of David's affliction, he remembers the power of his God. And he remembers the things that he has done. Verse 8, he's the author of incomparable works. Verse 9, he's the creator of the nations. We just had an election that, that had the, who was going to rule this nation for four years, right? A nation among the many other nations that have lasted for thousands of years, right? But and we build it all on one. Here we have a God who's been ruling and reigning over all the nations for all the years, forever since before time began. Verse 10, he has great and wondrous deeds. So as I was kind of going through that, I was kind of asking the question, why is it important for David to speak these truths about God? He's the king of Israel. He's been following God probably for a, a number of years he was anointed by Samuel, right? He had that big old vat of oil poured all over him. He's the anointed, the holy one. He knows about who God is. Yet, here he is reminding himself of truths about who God is, about the God that he serves. And so why is it important for David to speak these truths? And, and better question is, why is it important for us to recall the truths of who God is in our lives regularly? I think, I think there's, there's something along these lines. I think each of us have a narrative loop that we begin to play in our lives when life gets difficult. And it's a narrative loop, that narrative loop of, of whatever that is, like this is how life is, and we forget who in the midst of that negative narrative loop that begins in our, in our lives. We forget God. And so literally, it's a fog that rolls in. It's a fog where we can no longer see the truth of who God is, and then our understanding of who God is is left up to our own minds our own thoughts. And that can be thwarted, right? We cannot see clearly through the fog. 
And so what we need to do is to remind ourselves of truths about who God is. And those truths have been delivered to us, they've been preserved to us, and they've been granted and given to us by the truth of his word. And so when the fog rolls in, we need to preach to ourselves what is true. And most of the time, what we preach to ourselves is something we already know about God. It's just we're failing to believe that truth about God. It's what I call present pain amnesia, right? We forget about who God is because of the present pain and the present circumstance that we have. And so we totally forget who God is. And so we need to be reminded, we need to recall the truth of who our God is that will strike, or that will, that will step into the difficulty and into the fog that we find ourselves. And so David, myself, and I think each one of us in here and, and out there, we need to speak, we need to hear, we need to absorb the truths of God in order that our hearts would be united with him. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Friends, our hearts are apt to be divided. My heart is apt to be divided, right? My heart, my thoughts, my affections, they wander. That's what it means to be a human being. To be a human being on this side of Genesis 3, not named Jesus, our hearts, our affections are divided and we wander. Right? That's called, when we lack faith, we go our own way and we do what we want to do. And David knows this, and he needs to be reminded of God's truth. And it's important to recognize, it's not a truth that's cold and calculated, and that just continues to rattle around up in our brains, is it? It's a truth that finds its way down into our hearts and into our lives, and into the path that we have. Look at verse 11 again. Teach me your way, so teach me what is true, O Lord, that I might walk in your truth, and what will happen? Unite my heart to fear your name, right? So begin to transform, begin to change my heart so that my affections would be set upon you and toward you, God. And so David is asking for a truth that changes his path, that changes his heart, and that ultimately changes his life. It's, and so I believe that this is a sobering question for myself and for each one of us this morning. Is the truth of God changing your mind? Is it changing your heart? Is the truth of God, is the Spirit at work in you, is it changing and transforming your life? Are you different than you were a year ago? Are you different than you were five years ago? Are you different than you were 10 years ago? Whatever that is, fill in the blank however long that is for you. Because I fear that many of Christians are living off the fading fumes of what I call transformation past. Remember that time in my life when God really worked and he really transformed my life? That was a really good season. Maybe I came to faith at this time or, or God really made himself alive to me and that's how I know I'm transformed. But there's something important for us to recognize from this God that we see here in David is that the God who does the wondrous works, the God who created all the nations, the God who rules over everything and anything, guess what he still desires to do in your heart and your life today? He desires to transform it today, tomorrow, and all the way into the future until the day when he brings heaven and earth together. That's his desire is to transform you. You are not done being changed by your God. 
That is a good news statement. God is not done with you no matter where you are at in your life. He is not done changing and transforming you into the image of his son. And so 2020, are you being changed by your God? Or are your self-tendencies or your isms, are they leaking out on the people around you, on the people you love, the people you care most about? If you want to know, and if you love them, ask them. Do you see God changing me? Ask the question. It's kind of a scary question, isn't it? Do you see God at work changing me? Ask your spouse that, right? But that's a good, healthy thing for us to do as believers. And so now we know God wants to hear our afflictions, and we remember his exclusive authority over them all. Now let's move to the final posture we find in our psalm. Posture three is this, trusting God with those who oppose. We trust God with those who are in opposition against us. When people stand against us, we can, we can lean into David's response here. Look at verse 14. Oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. And so David is, is either, right, he's got his revenge-filled boss coming after him, or his glory-seeking son wanting his throne. Now, either way, it's not good. And he's got real significant opposition, and he, and he names that, and he identifies that, and he makes it clear here. And either way, he's faced with people who oppose what God has called him to do. Like, like to be the leader, to be the anointed one of God's people, who called you to do that? God, right? That, that big vat of oil says, God, you have called me to this task, and what God has called him to do has done what for him? It's brought opposition. It's brought affliction. It's brought difficulty. It's brought pain. It's brought all of those things into his life. And so David then begins to proposition God to give him strength. God, help me here. So what he says, verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Is that what you want to pray when you're faced with, a, with, with one of your um, opponents? Like, no, we need to strike him down. Is what, you know, that, that's the heart, you know, the fleshly response in me. Yet here's David, like, I remember who you are, God. This is who you are. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to, the serv- to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. His prayer is essentially, God, help me not to destroy my enemies, but to trust you. Help me to trust who you are, God, the kind of God you are. Help me to put my faith and trust in that over myself. Because what, what do I want to do, right? As a human being, I want to neck punch people, right? That's what I would like to do. But David's like, no, help me to trust you, God, to trust you. And so God helps us to have mercy when we want vengeance. God helps us to be patient when we are angry. God helps us to have love when we want to hate. And so Jesus, though, this isn't just a David call. Jesus calls us to this impossible task. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, he says this, You have heard it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Right, that's easy, right? I like, I like loving the people who love me. 
That's an easy thing, and I hate the people, right? Just disregard the people who are enemies and who aren't like me. That's totally easy. I like that. Let's do that. But Jesus is going to call us to something higher. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Like, they can do that. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you than you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Like, like that doesn't take anything difficult or hard to do. So what we see here is Jesus is calling us to an impossible task. Jesus is calling us to do something that we can't do on our own. Is that he's saying that we need faith in God and his ability to rule over his kingdom in order to love our enemies and those who would oppose us. To those who stand against us in our ways, that we would love them. We would greet them with care and compassion and kindness and generosity. Something that, do they deserve it? No. But do we do it? Yes. Because did Jesus treat us the way that we deserve? Thank the Lord, right? He does not treat us the way we deserve. And so we treat other people the way Jesus treats us. Not what we deserve, but instead with a love and a generosity and a kindness and a compassion that is undeserved, unmerited, but is given freely and graciously because that's the kind of God he is. The kind of love that he has for his children. And so David then has a final request that reveals, I think it's his complete trust in God. He says, show me a sign of your favor. Like, I'm, I'm going I'm to entrust all this to you, and, and then would you, would you be a blessing to me? You know, bless me in this situation, that those who hate me may see and be put to shame, and that they would be put to shame because of this, because Lord, you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Like, they would see you in all of this. That they would be put to shame because they see you, your love, your generosity, your kindness, all of those things of who you are, God. They would see those things and they would recognize their failure. They would recognize, ah, I am wrong. They would recognize their own shame. Bless me so that others will see your goodness and power and realize that they were on the wrong side the entire time. So as we end our time this morning, I want us to remember that the God we petition with our affliction and opposition is also the same God who took on our affliction and opposition. That Jesus who calls us to that impossible task of doing the thing that is beyond what the tax collectors do and is beyond what the Gentiles do, that Jesus took on our opposition and our affliction so that we would be able to freely give it to others. Listen to 1 Peter 3, starting at verse 22. He says this, Jesus, talking about Jesus, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You see, when he faced pain because of the sin of others, Jesus didn't lash out in anger. He didn't let fear prevent him from loving. He didn't demand his glory. 
Jesus, like David, entrusted himself, trusted his loving heavenly Father to do the work that he had given him. And so Jesus gives you and I, he gives us the power to respond in faith over fear when confronted by those who are in opposition against us. So so we're not alone in this task. It's not a task that says, hey, go do the thing you're incapable of doing. What Jesus says is, go do the thing you're incapable of doing so that you will have to trust me, depend on me, and need me every step of the way. There's never going to be a moment, there's never going to be a day, there's never going to be a breath you take where you don't need my strength. And if that's not true, 2020 makes that more abundantly clear than we've ever experienced. You need Jesus today. You need his strength this morning, this moment, and this afternoon, and tonight, and tomorrow, and every single day of your life. You never get to the point where you don't need Jesus to move you forward. And he's going to call you to impossible things so that you would trust in the God of impossibility to carry out those things. And so you may not feel like you have the strength to love in the face of 2020's pain. Amen. Good. That's a good place to be. That's where David is at the beginning of this. He pleads and says, God, I need you. Good place to be. Lean into that ability this morning. And plead for your God to give you the strength of Jesus who did and who does in all of that. Let's pray. God, you are good to us. It is amazing to recognize that you love us, you care about us, you want to hear us. God, that is an incredible truth. And I thank you that you're not a God who's despondent and disconnected from us, your children, but you're a God who who is intimately connected and hearing and listening to our needs. And you're a God who is capable of taking on and overcoming the problems that we face in our lives, God. And you're a God who who helps us to love those who don't know you, who don't see you, who don't worship you, who don't glorify you, God. And so, God, I pray for your strength this morning to help us to love the people around us that you have placed in our path that you would help us to do that by the power and the strength and the authority and the person of Jesus Christ. Spirit, fill us up. Strengthen us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.